This is episode 106 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. My name's Andrew. My name is Eli. And Andrew, as I'm sitting here at the microphone, there is an aroma wafting off of my beard and fingers. Do you have any guess what it is? <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, hearing more than I'm smelling uh, across the... Uh, the the World Wide Web. So do do tell what what is wafting. It's the unique, distinct, inimitable, and mouth watering smell of lamb shashlik, which I've just enjoyed oh. within a few hours ago. Yes, that's right. I was able to. I was on a trip with my wife. We stopped at a roadside restaurant in a little garden cafe, and there was a little little trickling spring in the garden. There was trees. <laughs> And we had hachipuri, and we had lamb shashlik. You know, and it was you can't do that. It was darn it, good, man. It's not fair. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about food in the North Caucasus at different times in different ways. Uh, one of our early episodes, meat and tea, number seven. You know, we talked a lot about shashlik and chai and all that that involves. But, you know, we've just come off of summer vacation, a lot of us. And one of the things that we do a lot around the world is we eat out. And yes. the actual experience, the gastronomic event of eating <laughs> out is really a distinct thing that we haven't dug into. So we're going to do that today. We're going to yeah. talk about dining out in the North Caucasus. Yeah, it's a, a great topic. I think it's something almost anybody from any part of the world can relate to. And we're not just talking um, about the food itself or the dishes. We're actually not going to talk about the dishes very much at all. We're talking about literally the experience of of <laughs> of dining out. And listeners, we are going to amaze you again <laughs> at, at finding, a, you know, de- uh, meaning in the details. <laughs> And and stories upon stories, upon on stories. top of that. But first, um, you have a little news minute related to food, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, with the proliferation of the internet and social media and all that allows for people to do, uh, food obviously is, is one of those things that has kind of exploded with blogs and video blogs and Instagram and YouTube. Um, and this is happening in the North Caucasus. It's really cool. Uh, yep. organically from local people. So I just wanted to give a couple shout outs to ones that we've come across or uh, our listeners have told us about. Yes. Um, if, if you are a Facebook uh, follower of Caucus Talk, one that we've posted on multiple times, uh, it's called Georgi Kafkaz, which is like George, the name for George in oh the Caucasus. This guy is next level. <laughs> this is like if you want to talk about a man's man, the Caucasus man, Georgi is is that guy. I, I don't have we talked about him on the episode. I feel like we have. You know the the I think we talked about um, the 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 lamb shashlik one where he literally like walks in with. See, he's in, in his his courtyard behind his house, and it's all just very neat, and the grass is very neat, and everything is very neat and tidy. And he does everything at sort of a medium pace, like he's got time to spare, he's got nowhere to be, and then he just like 
rips open these lamb carcasses, puts them on five-foot-long yes. metal skewers, sticks them <laughs> in the ground over a fire that he makes just, like, out of nothing, and over the next five hours, like, grills them and then picks them off and sits down at the table with his little children and rips the meat open and digs in. Yeah, I mean, the 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 filming quality is quite impressive of Georgi Kafkaz's uh, videos. You know, it's really win- winsome. He includes the kids. You get kind of the panoramic view of his courtyard. Right. Eli, I, d- I just put up his YouTube page. I want to read some of the titles of the videos he has. I'm ready. And uh, listeners, I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. But here's a couple. Um, Catfish in a tandoor. So a tandoor is a stone oven built on the ground, if you don't yeah, know what yeah. that is. So that means that's going to be very crispy, delicious fish. Okay. How how about quail soup with vegetables? Normal. <laughs> Grilled ostrich. Okay. The ostrich thing, like, we got to talk <laughs> about the ostrich. The guy <laughs> shows up with a plucked ostrich carcass like it's a normal thing. And it is a huge, the biggest carcass I think I've ever seen somebody cooking. It's like the size of a duffel bag. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what to compare to. And it's not like, oh, let's talk about the fact that we're cooking an ostrich. It's like, how do you cook ostrich after all? Like we've been sitting around drumming our fingers wondering about this. He cooks stuff in pumpkins a lot, which is great. He's got a little pitcher of wine that I always drink out of. I really love Georgi Kafkas, but he's not the only blog out there. Yeah, you're right. Uh, there's an there's another one uh, I came across recently. It's called in English. This is the translation, mind you, but it's the chef cooks. All right, chef Gatovit. Uh, but his name he's from <laughs> Dagestan. His name is Muhammad Mortazaliev. Um, and he also um, he's got some really good videos. Huge. I mean, these are people with huge followings. We're talking about like Georgi Kafkaz has multiple million. V- views on mot- on almost all his videos. Uh, Mortez Laziev is a little more modest, you know, 100, 200, 300,000 views, but that's quite impressive. I mean, I think the first v- vlog that I saw cooking in the Caucasus was two guys in one of these like Soviet era rented garages that <laughs> they had whitewashed on the inside and put a table in and hung up Christmas lights or something like this. And First, so you're in, you know, you start in the inside shot and they're chopping vegetables. And for some reason, we like to watch people chop vegetables and they put them in bowls and, and then they yeah. go outside and you're like, oh, you're in a parking lot, like with gravel. And, and they just cook out there in their giant Kazan, which is that huge cast iron wok kind of thing. And people love it, man. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter like what your setting is. Yeah, it's it's really neat. Um and you know, uh ladies, there's a lot out there for you as well. Um I've in the last uh 3 months I've had two different native Russian speakers who live in the United States tell me that they follow Dagestani women's Instagram pages which are where they put res- can, you know, ethnic recipes out there, explain kind of how it works in their family and like they loved it. It's really cool. You know, again, on Instagram, 30,000, 100,000 followers. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. So, um, it's cool to see that developing in the region. I, I know that even in the the tourism world, like they have these gastro tours where the whole focus of your week is 
trying the different foods in the region. So it's a, yeah, I, it's a I good just, thing. I just want to add, I think it's a very empowering thing to, you know, the, the internet's such a leveling, leveling force. It's an empowering thing to be able to uh, share your culture broadly, you know, without people having to travel or whatever. And it raises the value and your appreciation and sort of of what your culture uniquely has to offer, which um, in this case tends to be a lot of cooked animals. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, Eli, uh, I got to give you props. This was your idea for the episode today, and it's going to be a good one because you and I, we have some things to share after dining out a time or two with our children. I mean, (laughs) you had to throw the children in. The thing, the fact is, though, like if any listener sat down and made a list of 10 things that were unique about their dining experience, or not even unique, but they just like wrote out what are 10 steps when I go out to dine that happen, you would have sort of this um, ethnographic study of dining out in your culture. And if you took it somewhere else, you'd find out like, whoa, seven of these things other people don't do or none of them or whatever. And that's kind of what we're doing. This stuff we live with day in, day out, and it's under our noses. But actually, there are a lot of things that are very different that we've had to get used to over the years. Yeah, it's true. Well, why don't we, why don't we get started? Are we doing our top 10 list of things you should know about dining out in the Caucasus? Is that, is that what we're doing? Uh, I would say there are things you should know, but it's not so much advice. I just want to like share the experience over our podcast. So I just say your top 10 and my top 10. We're not going to have top 20. We'll do, we'll ping pong back and forth until we run out of steam or SD cards. So, um, we could be going for a while. (laughs) We'll try and keep it. We'll, we'll keep them. We'll keep them brief, but I'm ready. I'm, I'm loaded and ready with my first one, Andrew. All right. Start us off, Eli. All right. I think one of the first things that any foreigner and certainly Westerner or, or American will notice about dining out in the North Caucasus is the level of decor devoted to the dining spaces. Restaurants are super cool. They've got yeah. amazing design. They've got tiles. They've got curtains. They've got, you know, upholstery. The, the furniture is distinct. The, there's the shelving and the objects that are all like, there's so much devoted to just the feel of a place. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's one of my wife's favorite things actually about dining out in the North Caucasus versus, uh, in the States is she'll just say like, I love how fancy it is, you know? And yeah, it's there's depending on the restaurant, it can actually be very beautiful, aesthetically pleasing. Absolutely. Uh, and I've been it, impressed it, with that. Like the the quality of design and and um yeah, decor is like really impressed me. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's a good one. I like and, that's a good one to start with. Along with that, I mean it makes me like there's sometimes you go, you know, the, often the restaurants that you eat at in the U.S., like you, f- it feels like the price of the food, and in I would say in the Caucasus, a lot more often every restaurant feels very nice, even if the food's very affordable. Yeah. Um, yeah one of my f- think, favorite part. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's not something you're used to in the West, so when you experience that in the Caucasus, it can feel a little like overboard initially, but. Uh-huh. N- 
it's something like not only did we get used to, we expect now. So we're it's actually a little bit of a letdown when we walk into a restaurant in the West now. I mean, there's some restaurants where, you know, you sit on your chair and it kind of slides on the perma grease that's on the tile on the floor. And you sort of feel like, is this, anyway, I don't want to slam. That's maybe it's not helpful. But I will say one of my favorite parts about this is the curtains. Have you ever gotten a booth with a curtain, with curtains, Andrew? Oh, kind of like your own private curtain to yes. seal yourself off. And they yes. and they they draw the curtains around you when you they leave, and you feel like you kind of feel like royalty going out. It's sort of this like I don't know. There's an Eastern mystique to it. I I really like it. Yeah. Well, and we I remember. So I waited tables for three years back in the day um, when I was in school, and I remember distinctly any time a couple would sit on the same side of the booth, like instead of looking at each other across the booth, but with each other, it was always like any waiter or waitress would almost always just roll their eyes at that. Uh. <laughs> but and in the Caucasus, because often you'll have really nice chairs or sofas to sit on beside your your significant other, we often, if it's if it's a date, Christine and I, we often sit beside each other on the sofas. You mean if you're not running interference with your children? <laughs> That's right. Uh-huh. But uh, we we made that switch because of the decor. It's cool. All right, Andrew, your turn. All right. Um, I'm going to say, this might surprise you as the first one I throw out there, but the portion sizes are smaller in the North Caucasus and... We actually really appreciate that. Okay. Explique, por favor. Yeah. Well, this is something we definitely notice moving back and forth between the countries, the U.S. and the Caucasus. But the portion sizes are just gigantic in the U.S., like almost to the point where if you eat half of it, you're feeling good about yourself, you know, and you're taking the rest home. Like you're not getting one of those dishes where you eat your dinner and then you look down and it looks like no one has touched the dish. (laughs) Yeah. So like the plates are smaller usually in the Caucasus and the portions are smaller, but typically you will be able to finish your, your portion because it's not way too much. Um, So do do you like that because you don't eat as much personally? It's healthier. I'm I'm not I, I think in general it's a better experience if you you're you know you're not overeating mm-hmm. because the portion is smaller I th- I'm not sure yeah. exactly what yeah. that reflects of each place but we just that's something we always notice when we come home to the states whatever it is that we order is the portion sides are gigantic and yeah. we often can't finish what we're served you know, one other thing that I like about the smaller portions, and I only realize this now that you've mentioned it, is uh, particularly with my wife, we'll, we'll often get a few things to share. Like you can get a few more different things. We'll get a soup and a salad and an entree and, a, you know, maybe another something else to share. And it, it's not just an avalanche of food. Like we can actually right. know, get through it. And you can try more things. Yeah, that's also, right. Man, I like that. All right, okay. number three. Number three for me, <laughs> it's a sort of a, it's a combo. So first of all, the napkins, I, I, I don't know if I've been to a place that this has been true. The napkins, <laughs> they must be like, I don't know. They're like made for gnomes. They're these tiny little <laughs> napkins 
that are really thin and they're in a little holder at the table and usually they're nicely presented. So for right. me, they're way too small because I'm used to a big napkin that I can put in my lap. But I, but here in the North Caucasus, it makes me realize that to a local sensibility, having a napkin so big that it covers your lap must it's sort of like putting a smock on. I mean, it must look like you are preparing <laughs> for a full body event. Like, why do you need a, a, like a blanket in your lap? Like, what are you going to be doing here? <laughs> <laughs> so there are these little napkins. This is the first thing. So then if you want to take them out, oftentimes they're very neatly arranged sort of in a, you know, a peacock yes. tail kind of thing. So I go in, I grab the corner of one of them and I, I think I'll just yank it out with, I just twitch with my wrist. And of course the entire <laughs> pack of napkins like plumes over, across the table and they all pop out. <laughs> so then I have to shove them back in. But here's what really is distinct about the napkins. I use these napkins and they are, you know, instantly like they're used if I, if, because I, I apparently get my fingers a lot dirtier than locals do. And there's another, there's another angle on this, which I'll share in a bit. But then I put my napkin down on the table next to me because it's all crumpled up and dirty. I go to take my next bite. And what happens? Boom. The waitress comes and clears my napkin. Throughout the <laughs> meal, any dirty napkin on the table, it's like, dup, 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 dup. they just come yep. and like take the napkins. They're constantly clearing nap like dirty used napkins. It's so true. I, I I have not plumbed the depths of this mystery. It's some to me. It's some combination of like it's dirty and you don't want it in front of you because that sort of um, mars the dining experience. I don't know. What do you think? Why do they do that? Oh, um, I will say in my. Um, experience of waiting tables we were trained that you you clear any kind of like used or dirty sure. dishes off totally. the table if you're yeah. passing by but you also don't want it to be intrusive to the the guest so yeah yeah i'm not I, i've definitely noticed that i don't know why that is done like that eli i guess i could just ask i mean i've i've lived here long enough <laughs> but that's the kind of thing you ask, like, why do you do that? And they'll stare at you and be like, uh, what, like, what do you mean? If, like, if someone came to, a, like, an American restaurant, I was like, why is your napkin this size? You'd be like, what do you, what size? You know what I mean? It's sort of a use. Anyway, we'll Can get you... back. Listeners, we'll get back to you on this one. We're going to go do some anthropological Research. Yeah. We need a, a I was going to say, please, please report back to us uh, on our next, <laughs> our next recording, <laughs> your findings. <laughs> All right. Number four. This is a good one. You, you and I have a, both have a lot to add to this one, but kid play places at restaurants. Ubiquitous. Oh man. I mean, this really should be number one for both of us. <laughs> if, if we're doing like one is the best, but we love this about restaurants in the North Caucasus. Now, not every restaurant is like this. There's kind of a, I guess, set category of places that you dine out. Yeah, like a but, family restaurant. Right. Right. But there's a good number of restaurants that will have a separate play place for kids. Um, and we have just grown to love that so much. Because in the U.S. now, the only place you can find that is at 
fast food, and even those places don't have them anymore. Well, they were closed this past year because of COVID. Right. Um, or um, a lot of places stopped carrying them because they're like liability it exactly. was to the restaurant. So when we talk about a, a kid's play place, we're talking, I mean, al- almost always there's a ball pit, yep. which, which, which secretly is hygienic. Um, just kidding. Um, <laughs> often you'll have like the netted in kind of cubic construction of like boxes that kids climb up and through and around. Then there's a slide um, and it, usually it's on foam mats. And then there's closed caption uh, televisions. Or, or cameras that are often playing out in the dining area. So you're sitting there eating. That's true. Your kids like take one big breath and inhale their food, and then they run off around the corner or in sight, but it's not right, like it's a bit out of the way, and then you can watch them or you can go check on them, and you sit there and keep eating. It's really amazing. Yeah, yeah, we love it. And often there's other kids in there, so um, your kids... Our kids, at least half the time, are really happy to play with the other kids. Um, I, sp- I mean, when you go out to eat with little kids, you're not expecting to get quality time or conversation with your spouse. and It's more of a survival event. Right. I would say this is one of those things that has consistently surprised Christy and me. Right. Is we actually were able to connect in a meal out because of the kids play place. <laughs> oh, you're here. Yeah. And I think <laughs> large in a, on a larger scale, it is a, a signal of welcome and kind of acceptance of whole families doing things together. And I see whole families eating together out constantly. All yeah, the that's time. Very true. It's a very strong cultural thing. I think particularly in Dagestan, families will go out with little children and eat a lot. And it's, yep. it's accepted. And yes, cause sometimes kids are noisier, they scream or whatever, but you know, they learn to behave. And this is just one of those places that is very welcoming. So I love that. Yeah. And even, you know, kid birthday parties, that's a universal thing, but in the Caucasus often they'll have them at a restaurant where there's a kid, kid play place. So that can be used. Yeah. All right. I think my next one is the, in the category of of server served relational dynamics, so the relationship between the waiter or waitress and you, the diner, the okay. clientele. Okay, so the first thing is, and Andrew, some of this bleeds in from some points that you put in our notes. You are under no pressure to be friends with your waiter or waitress, and it is. <laughs> It is manifestly evident that they feel no compunction to be your friend. They're not rude. In fact, they're very polite, but it's very professional. And yeah. um, I don't know. Sometimes I, I, like, I like what we do in America, which is very friendly and chatty. I really like that a lot, actually. But here, yeah. you sort of it's all about expectations. You just know that they're not expecting you to ask how they're doing or to... Notice them when they come and clean your napkins for the ninth time. So that's that's one thing. And yep. then connected to that is the button. <laughs> the button. Many restaurants have a little round disc with a little button in the middle. And that button calls your server. Yeah. Because... Once you have ordered and your food has been delivered, 
That's basically the end of the relational contract between you and the server until you pay. Like, <laughs> they're gone. And, and the napkin pickups. And the napkin pickups, which become just sort of like blurry motions in the cor- out of the corner of your eye. You don't even notice them anymore. But like, yeah. they're not checking on you. They're not refilling drinks because you have to pay for every drink. So at first, this can be very jarring. Like, where is the waitress? You know, because, you know, you got your food and 30 minutes are gone by. And, but a lot of Europe is like this. I remember my first trip to Italy was the very same thing. We ordered pizza and oh. 45 minutes later, we were very done. And there was no evidence that the waiter was still working for that restaurant. I mean, we just didn't know. So the button calls the waiter. But it, it's like, could we, could we possibly feel more like hoity-toity, snooty, maybe a bell? would make it even, I mean, it can make me crawl on the inside like, <laughs> oh, servant, bzz, like, come massage my toes. I, that's where, <laughs> that's what happens for me. When, huh. But it's normal, and it's actually yeah. very convenient. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, uh, in the pre-button days, <laughs> I, I'm going to share this story. This was kind of my first encounter with that more transactional relationship than the yeah. uh, relational relationship. So in the U.S., often, Eli, when a waitress or waiter comes to your tabor, table, um, what is, like, one of the first things name. they say to you? They yeah, tell they you introduce name. themselves, right? I don't know yeah. a single name of a single server I've ever had in Russia. Yeah, they'll never do that. And often what they'll do in Russia, it's usually young girls between age 18 to 25, is if you need their attention the client will say, Devochka, Devochka, Idisuda, hey girl, <laughs> come here. <laughs> and I remember when my Russian was, I had a small vocabulary, but I knew what that word meant. The first time I heard somebody call out to their waitress and just say, girl, come here, it shocked me like to my core. It totally. sounded so, so rude and abrasive, but. In general, in Russian society, this is how you address a woman, a woman middle-aged and younger, if you don't know her name, and usually in kind of the customer service realm. That's totally true. Yeah. It's for like, men, for it's men like miss. It is like, excuse me, miss. I mean, it carries yes. the same, you know, ma- sense of, of manners to a propriety. But it right. does but, shock you. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, yeah. That girl? It, it, that's right. That's right. For for guys, they'll say Maladuichilovic, young man. Um, but for girls, they'll just say, "Hey, girl, Dievushka or Miss." Um, <laughs> but honestly, Andrew, have you ever seen a waitress who is not a Dievushka? No. So this is a point I wanted to make. I have noticed that almost exclusively, not a hundred percent, but probably ninety five percent of waitresses and waiters are between eighteen and twenty five. See, I think this is one of those things that, well, I don't know if I should go here. It's like in the U.S. how I think, I think like basically the women's lib movement in the 60s and 70s broke a lot of stereotypical boundaries. I think of flight attendants as a great example. You get on a U.S. airline. I mean, some of them, all they really have to wear is like, you know, 
some garment that's in the same color scheme as the airline. This isn't a criticism, you know, and people yeah. are relaxed. They're wearing a baggy sweater or a, a, a jacket or whatever. And they're anywhere between like 19 and like 69. I mean, you know, the, the flight attendants and, and there's still many cultures where that role, for example, is a young woman of a certain height and a certain size and a certain look, you know, it's a very stereotypical, stereotypical and i feel like yeah. waitressing is a similar thing where in our culture it's just not limited that way but probably in the north caucasus it carries a lot of that would you say that's true yeah well and even i would say um in the u.s there's so many eating out is so kind of um expansive and everywhere and there's so many levels of restaurants that there are lots of people who they really make a career out of being a server Yes. Um, oh, definitely. I mean, really, until they retire. I, I waited with people of all ages. This is true. For th- yeah. So in the in the Caucasus, you really see it's more of a transitory thing, uh, kind of right. maybe a side job or something. Unless you own it. Unless, like, I mean, sometimes the people who own a small place are the ones serving tables. Right. You know? Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing. I wonder, this is a question mark. Um... Go with me on this, Andrew. Okay. Culturally speaking, writ large, big, broad brush strokes, there's a lot more in North Caucasus culture about uh, how things look on the outside. Saving face is a big thing. Honor and shame play very powerfully in a lot of settings. And eating out, I think, kind of has this, maybe it bears some of that, that, um, honor shame dynamic where it's it's got to look nice the restaurant has to look nice because it's not just about the quality of the food it's not a merit meritocracy where it's like if the food's good enough who cares how it looks kind of like in the in the u.s might be more that direction it's like it has to look nice people look nice when they go out to eat you know even the moms you know with their kids they're like dressed to the nines and the the dishes look nice so i wonder if there's a sense of like the servers have to look nice because, or look a certain way because it it is really a lot more about the look. I don't know. That might be a stretch. Well, I think there is a dynamic, especially in the North Caucasus, of in general, young. Typically, at when people come to the table, it's the younger people who serve the older people. Ooh, so maybe maybe that has something to do with it. I also will say this is something that. Uh, you know, because I work in tourism, like uh, we're constantly seeing like, what's the customer service like in, in this restaurant, in this hotel, in this dining room, et cetera. And you have to adjust your expectations because it's not the same experience of hospitality that you'll have in a person's home. Right. The, I think this is actually really key. We're going to just stop on this point for a little bit because okay. I mean, in a, in a person's home in the North Caucasus, when you're their guest, it's like the highest honor for them, and you kind of have the most important, right. I guess, ro- role or label, right? And so they will do anything to take good care of you and um, to make you feel welcome. Right. In, in restaurants, it is not like that. Um, even if you're in the North Caucasus, even if you're in a place like Dagestan or you know North Ossetia where people are extremely hospitable— it's much more transactional than relational. 
and you're viewed you're viewed as a client, not as a guest. And so the experience just is really different. So I would say separate those things if you are traveling through the region as a foreigner. Um, view it more transactional in the in the restaurant. But if you are do have that you know privilege of getting in someone's home, you'll notice what a like vast difference it is for sure. For sure, yeah. Well, that was my number five the the relationship between the server and the served, okay. including the button. So, yeah. uh, your turn. What's your next? I've got one? yeah. Number six um, is the restaurant and eating out culture. It's it's not really um, existent in the morning or breakfast time. Oh my word. So the only place, all right, so Andrew's like, we got, let's have a breakfast meeting when we're living in Pitygorsk. <laughs> and we're like, great breakfast meeting. Let's hit it. So the two options in the entire city were we, the hotel. We literally researched all the options for the whole city. <laughs> and the hotel, what time did they start breakfast? They started at seven. They had a nice buffet. But okay, but even then, when they started at seven, we're sitting there in like a half darkened dining room when seven o'clock rolls around. And, and we, we, yeah, we had to sweet talk them <laughs> significantly to let us pay and eat there, even though we weren't staying there. But the key was the blini lady, the lady making crepes, making the pancakes, she was not in, she was like, she wasn't out of bed yet. I mean, she did not roll in till after eight, and we're like, next time, guys, <laughs> we we've got to, we, maybe we can bump the meeting back a little so we can get the blini lady to go like make the pancakes because she was not at her station. The cheese was out, you know, and the yogurt and stuff. So that was one place. What was the other place? McDonald's. McDonald's. Long yeah. live McDonald's. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, restaurants in general. They open if it's an a, a restaurant proper, it will not open before ten o'clock. Good chance, maybe even eleven o'clock. Sure. Some even some even would be twelve o'clock. And um, go on. But they're open late till midnight, maybe or one. one. Yeah. Yeah. But um, two funny things about this. Number one is many, many restaurants have a lot of breakfast items on the menu. Have a whole breakfast page, omelets. Yeah fried eggs and toast and stuff. I remember, I was at Family Kitchen or something. I was like, look at this. We got to come here for breakfast. Like, what time do you open? They're like, 10.30. It's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Okay. Okay, great. And the second thing is coffee shops. I know we're not talking about coffee shops, but they're the same way. Yeah. Yeah, most, there are, from my memory, I I think there, there might be one now in the city that opens at seven, but typically the earliest a coffee shop will open is eight. And often it's nine, uh, nine o'clock, sometimes I'll, 10. I'll just say yeah. here, here in uh, the South Caucasus in Tbilisi, where I'm, we're recording this from, same thing. Uh, I got a text really? from someone and they're like, oh, I found a, a coffee shop that opened really early, 9 a.m. In fact, our, um, our real estate agent who helped us find our rental he was trying to stop by, and I was like, how about this afternoon? It kept not working, and he wrote, he's, he literally said, or I could come tomorrow very early at 10 a.m., and I said, <laughs> you know what? Let's just do it, because I'll have been Let's up be for crazy. five hours anyway. So, <laughs> Wow. Yeah, j- just for context, I, I really don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but 
I mean, in the U.S., their work starts early in a lot of places. Um, many people commute an hour or longer to where they work because of traffic and because of living outside of big cities. And so there's this huge, especially now at coffee shops, um, drive-through culture uh, of getting your coffee on the way to work at 6 a.m. or earlier. Mo- most co- most Starbucks will open at 5 a.m. Um, and then, you know, our grandparents' generation, they were doing that way back in the day. They would they would meet their friends at 6 a.m. for breakfast, either before they went to work or when they were retired. That, that's just a thing older retired people do in the U.S. is eat breakfast together early. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that is like the diner culture and the 24-hour thing. Yes. Uh, contributed yeah. to that. But we have to address Starbucks in the U.S. and how what a culture shaper that has been. Because to have, to have this gourmet, I mean, when they showed up, there was not gourmet coffee available. You know, huh. there were tiny places, but it wasn't popularized. I mean, when I, and I worked at Starbucks, and I remember... Multiple, more than once, I showed up for morning shift. You know, you get there at like 4.50 or something for a 5.30 opening. And yeah. and the assistant manager didn't show up that morning. Like, terrible. And I remember this one particular November morning. It was sheeting down rain. It was 5.30. The store huh. was dark. I was standing out front waiting to get in for the... And I turned around and there was this bank of parked cars with their engines on and their lights on waiting, just like staring at the darkened <laughs> Starbucks, like, we are want our coffee. Um, not so here. Not so. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just something you have to adjust to. Um, often people are out later and there just really isn't a early work culture in in the Caucasus where people are up and at them and, you know, getting things done at seven, eight, or even nine. Right. Yeah. What's my next Number one? seven. Um, I kind of think this kind of connects to the server relationship, but um, I've never had an experience different from this. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but for the most part, when you order your food, it just, whatever is ready comes out. That's true. Um, yep. And this is funny because we've talked about how the Russian food thing, like you have your first and your second dish, you know, there's a whole sort of dishes that are firsts and then your, your hot meat dish is your second. And so they're like, for, for first, what do you want? For second, what do you want? But it just comes whenever. So you'll get your hot main dish and then your salad shows up and while you're eating, your soup is dropped off. Yeah. And then, the fr- and then the French fries. Um, and, I, it, you know, it stands out because you realize, at least in the U.S., like the order of arrival is very key. In fact, if you've ever worked in dining, as Andrew and I both have, that's a big part in the kitchen of when you fire a particular dish so that it's hot and ready. And, you know, one of the waiters or the food runner's job is to know when people are finishing one course and bring to the next. And um, so this can be very disorienting, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> There's not much to say about it, but it just, it, it, it strikes you as sort of like um, some kind of sloppiness or laziness. And it, I, it isn't that. It's just a different expectation for like your dining experience. I think it's a different expectation. I do think uh, we've definitely told our waitress before, hey, Bring this first, please, and then please wait a while before you before you bring this. If you communicate that, they'll do it. 
Sure. Um, it's not a foreign idea, but if you don't say it, you don't say it, right? Yeah. All right. Something Number different. eight. Yeah, how about you? Yeah. So I would say this is for any foreigner living in a foreign place, but you just need to prepare yourself for this miscommunication. I already know what Pre- you're saying. <laughs> prepare yourself to get either get something you didn't ask for or for them not to not understanding what you're ask, asking for. And I have, there's three things in particular. I have always struggled with having a waitress understand what I'm asking for. I am so with you on these. I already know what they are. Go ahead. Okay. Let's, let's compare and contrast here. So the first is salt. Ice. Ooh, salt. Yes. Now this is a McDonald's specific request I always have is <laughs> I I ask for salt for my fries or more salt for our fries and I'll ask for soul. But there's that little knock, that soft B that's supposed to soften the L, how you pronounce it in Russian. So we're talking, the, the sounds are S-O-L, but the way, there are two different kinds of L pronunciations <laughs> in Russian. This is what Andrew's talking about. So how do you say the word soul or sol? It's yeah, like you might it. as well be saying like tennis shoes or pomegranates. I mean, if you drop that yeah. soft L, you could be anywhere. Oh, man. And I, I cannot tell you how many times I've had to say it five times until they understood what I said. And then they repeated it back to me how it sounded like I was saying it. And <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Now, that, that one is not bad because, you know, you're asking for something extra and you eventually get it and laugh and they give it to you. Okay. I just have to say um, though, that all of those things in McDonald's that they have are at the counter in a little bunch of little bins with a glass cover over them. And it's meant for the people behind the counter to reach under that and take the things out and put it on your tray to like prep the tray. The salt is there, right. the pepper is there, but there is a little gap on our side, and it's very tempting to just slip your hand in that gap and grab the salt <laughs> and be done because you could just ram it do in. That. Just come on. All right. What else? How else? What else do you miscommunicate with? Okay, you said ice, and that is a huge one Ugh. for sure. So, uh, in the in the U.S., any drink you get, it the cup is filled to the top with ice. And they'll constantly refill you or give you a new cup with lots of ice. And this is just normal in the States. You drink cold drinks with lots of ice. And they're big. And they're big drinks. And they're free yeah. usually. For uh, Certainly the water comes automatically. And they fill up with ice cold water. And a lot of drinks, especially fountain drinks, are free refills. And I will say, you know, if you're in someone's home in the U.S., they're not going to fill your glass to the top with ice. They'll probably put three or four cubes of ice in it, and that's it. But in restaurants, there's that culture. Yeah, they'll fill your cup up with ice and then put the drink in it. Um, they do not give you ice in the North Caucasus unless you ask. And when you ask, you have to know how to say with ice in Russian. And you would think that the word ice would be similar be- when you say with ice. But once you <laughs> say with, the entire word transmogrifies and becomes Totally different. So if you don't know that and you just say the word ice, again, they look at you like you're saying pomegranates. It's like ice what? Yes. So just to break it down for our listeners, the word for ice is lod. There's that soft, there's the soft L, le, not lod, but lod. Lod. Um, but if you want to say a drink with ice, you say 
Saldium. And the word Lyod is in there, except that all the letters have put, put in the blender and then poured back out. And so <laughs> it's just a Russian thing. So if and you have to, yeah. I'm not an Eli. I will say I'm not, at this point, I can't remember if it's Saldium or Saldium. But I often have asked, you know, I'll say uh, the first one, Moshna Lyod. They don't get it. So I'll say Moshna Saldium. They also don't get it. So then you move to the third option, uh, which is uh, a cup of ice, which is a, also a different way to conjugate it. Chashka Lida. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, we are deep into the weeds of Russian grammar just to get some ice cubes. And then, and then Andrew, once you have linguistically accomplished the task of communicating what you want, you may have to face the cultural baggage of drinking cold drinks. Which, depending on the season, your age, and your gender, might be totally offensive and not permissible. <laughs> depending you, on uh, the situation, because hot w- and cold yeah. drinks are a thing. I mean, they're a thing. We got to do. We got to do a whole episode on hot and cold, Andrew. We just got to yeah, do hot. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, and I will say, I mean, people don't have ice at their houses, so oh. that it, it will never be an option for you to ask for ice at someone's house. Do you know I, how long it took me to find ice trays in Mahachkala? <laughs> I mean, it was like it was like where in the world is Carmen San Diego? I went to like five different. I got advice. I was in this huge market, literally like a quarter mile, a half mile down. They're like ice trays. Oh, they're like I've heard of those. Like yeah, if you walk that way and take four lefts and look on the right, you'll see a little dog and then an old lady, and she'll know who has. I mean, I did like hunt, and finally <laughs> I got these ice trays that broke right when I used them. But anyway. <laughs> yeah and i mean i think we have hit on this before we need to do an episode about this but basically most people in the caucasus believe that drinking something cold will make you sick I, ice is just like anathema there which is ironic because like we just spoke a few episodes ago about gerontology and the 141 year old woman who took a full body bath in an ice cold mountain stream <laughs> like it's just there's there's some things there. So anyway, drinking ice is what yeah. Hmm. Well, um, and that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you have a third one. The, what was the third one? Let's see. Um, Check. So, so ah yes, you're right. So I've I've remedied this, but uh, as my Russian has improved. But I do remember early on in my um, <laughs> year, years in Pitigorsk, I would I would ask for a check, which. Now I know it's the wrong word. It's that's the word for receipt. Right. I needed to ask for the shot, shot. Uh, or the the tab. Right. But multiple times I asked for a check and they brought me chai, um, a cup of tea. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So you're just gonna. We'll bring it back to what we started with. You're gonna have miscommunication. So really enjoy. Do it. your hardest. Do your hardest to point on the menu what you want. Andrew, I met this guy who had been in Western China in the 90s. So we're talking wow. like totally on another planet. And this guy was American. And he told me a story. He was in this, the I don't know where he was, some far reaches. And he had a little neighborhood restaurant. And he thought, you know what? I bet I could explain to these guys how to make French fries. Uh-huh. And the chefs there, they like to, they pride themselves on knowing their clientele's preferences 
So he went in and he explained it to them and the chef like leans out from behind the thing and is listening and they all go back and they confer and they're like, okay, next time we'll make you your french fries. And so he comes back the next time and there are these like scalloped potatoes with I don't know what on them, like cream and stuff. And he was like, oh, no, not, not quite. And he was trying to explain how to do And they're like listening really intently. And so finally <laughs> after much, they're like, they, we've got it. And he comes back and and they bring out this plate of beautifully julienne French fries that were fried and crispy. This might have been his third try. And then they were powdered thick white with MSG and drizzled with caramel. <laughs> so close. Like after all of his efforts, <laughs> that's, so that's far. what he got. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Um, okay. I think I'm on number nine. Yes. Take us so, home. So I think a really positive one that I really love about dining out is getting a full pot of tea after your meal with dessert. Absolutely. I mean, this goes back to the decor. We didn't really emphasize this. They have couches at so many restaurants. And when you walk in and you see Caucasus people sitting on couches, it does look like they are at least a relative of some czar or, you know, <laughs> Shah or something like you just, you're the center. Like it's all about your comfort and you're lounging, you know, you're relaxing. And so you have this meal and they clear your napkins and they clear your plates and you get your cup of not ice, whatever. And then your meal is over and then you can get a pot of tea and you don't get a cup of tea at a, at a, at a, restaurant very often they don't do the bag tea they'll bring you a whole right. uh teapot and yep. a bunch of, and it's and it's kind of like and then you i, I like it because it means you're going to stay a while you're going to digest and then you kind of serve each other you know there's the person who's yes. like it'll be like pour the tea you know who's gonna who's gonna i guess there's a british thing who like who, who pour out like all pour out or whatever i think i don't know you know that may not be okay. exactly what it is yeah. But there's there's just sort of a moment around it, and it's very relaxing, and it and it's very different from sort of like they're turning tables. You're sitting at this sort of uncomfortable place. You just eat and leave. You know, it uh, it does almost feel hospitable. So I really like getting tea. Well, not only is the um, can you get a yeah a teapot for the whole table, but you can also get we love uh, like a a liter of lemonade or some like homemade juice right. they have there, right. and right. again. Now that I think about it, you can't really do that in the U.S. where you get a, like, drink for everyone. You know, it's it's very individualistic. I mean, unless it's a fountain soda. Yeah, unless it's a fountain soda, you could get a pitcher or a beer or something. You could, you can, some places get a pitcher of that. But (laughs) this is very, this is very typical. It's in the menu. It's like you can get the glass or you can get the pitcher. Yeah. Um, So, and that... I mean, we've talked about chai before, but that's very common. Um, and often people will, that pretty much anytime you go out with Caucasus friends, there will be at least one teapot of tea on the table. Often you'll go through two teapots and that's just what you do when you yeah. have meals or eat. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. That's a, that's a good one, Eli. So I'm going to finish on a fun one. Number 10, um, pizza and sushi. Okay. <laughs> Guys, I Andrew, go there. Let's just this is amazing. Well, uh generally in the US, if you go to a restaurant, they will have 
kind of their specific thing, right? It's a Mexican restaurant. It's a Greek restaurant. It's Chinese food. It's called a cuisine, right? Right. And there are some that have more, like Chili's or Applebee's, you can kind of get something of everything there. Americana, Uh, sure. Yeah. In the Caucasus, um, some restaurants will kind of identify themselves as like a specific niche of food. But pretty much every restaurant you go to will have pizza and sushi on the menu. Almost to a creepy extent. I mean, (laughs) when we got to Pitagorsk, we were like, wow, look, another place serving sushi. And we started puzzling over this. And we're, you know, we start hypothesizing, like, maybe it's because Russia touches Japan, but that's like... 4,000 miles away. Like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we're kind of close, but not really. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know what that is. It It is almost everywhere that pizza and sushi is available. I will say, going back to one of those early points about smaller portions – my wife actually really likes that because kind of like you said, she'll end up ordering, you know, five or six different things for our family. And then you can kind of have a little bit of everything and it's reasonable and tasty, you know? Absolutely. It is. My wife and I remember the time, I mean, we just thought it was so funny early on when we were in in, in the caucuses, like you have your, your menu and have got the soups and they've got steaks and stuff. And then whoop, there's a page of all pizza. Whoop, there's a page of all sushi like yes. without fail. And so we're just like, thought it was funny and people must really love these. And lo and behold, two years in, we take our family to a restaurant. We're just relaxing. And it's like, Oh, that looks good. I'm going to get that. And we turn around. We're like, Oh, we just did it. We just ordered pizza and sushi <laughs> together because it looks good. Like we're, we're being influenced and affected. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, there are other things we could have brought in, but I think that's a good start for our listeners. If you're dining out in the North Caucasus, these are things to be aware of. Be aware of and be ready for, and you'll discover things that, you know, every place has its own, its own characteristics, but by and large across the Caucasus, you can expect this. Um, And it's, it's fun, you know, it's fun to go out. It's a different experience. Yeah, and I will say, even as transactional as it is at restaurants, um, often waitresses or, or waiters are really interested if they, once they realize, they hear your accent, they see you stumbling over the language, whatever. They're really interested often when you're foreigners, um, especially if you have kids. Um, so you often can have a good conversation, um, you know, if that person's in college and studying English. Um, yeah. Definitely. Maybe our listeners realize from this that they have, in their own culture, distinct dining out um, features or habits or traditions. You should let us know. Comment on our Facebook page. For you sure. can find us there. You can leave a review. We would love and value your reviews on any platform that you listen on. And, of course, reach out to us. You can email us, podcast at caucustalk.com. Most of all... We want to sit down at a table with you together and enjoy some of these things in person. So we will see you when you get here.